0: This is the gospel according to Luke. So when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table and Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins, for I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until the meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine, he gave thanks for it, and he said, Take this, share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He then took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper here at this table sitting among us as friends is the man who will betray me. Oh, I've skipped apart. I'm sorry. This cup is the new covenant in my blood between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among you as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. What sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? And the disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And Jesus told them, in this world the kings and the great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. The leader should be like a servant. Who's more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I, I am among you as one who serves. You have stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Well, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you even to die with you. And Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news, you did not have any money or a traveler's bag or extra pair of sandals? Did you need anything? No, they replied. But now he said, take your money and a traveler's bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one for the time has come that this prophecy about me is to be fulfilled. He has counted among the rebels, yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room, went as usual to the Mount of Olives where he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. An angel from heaven appeared, strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last he stood up again. He returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up. Pray so that you will not give in to temptation. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. And Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And one of them struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. He touched the man's ear and healed him. And Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard, the elder who had come with him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment the time when the power of darkness reigns so they arrested him they led him to the high priest's home and Peter followed at a distance the guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it and Peter joined them there and a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him and finally she said this man was one of Jesus's followers Peter denied it woman he said I don't even know him And after a while, someone else looked at him, said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Jesus, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. That moment, the Lord turned. He looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times deny that you even know me peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly the guards in charge of jesus began mocking and beating him they blindfolded him and they said prophesy to us who hit you that time they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him and at daybreak all the elders of the people assembled including the leading priests the teachers of religious law jesus was led before this high council and they said tell us are you the messiah but he replied, if I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you questions, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. They all shouted, so, so you are, are you claiming to be the Son of God? And he replied, you say that I am. Why do we need other witnesses, they said. We, over, we ourselves heard him say it and the entire council took Jesus then to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they began to state their case. This man has been leading our people astray, telling them not to pay their taxes, mind you, to the Roman government and by claiming he is a messiah, that is a king. So Pilate asked him, well are you? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, you've said it. Pilate turned to the leading priests to the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Then they became insistent. But he's causing riots by his teachings. Wherever he goes, it's all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Oh, is he a Galilean? Pilate asks. Mm they said that he was. Pilate then sent him to Herod Antipas because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction and Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. So Herod was actually delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him. He had been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. He asked Jesus questions after question but Jesus refused to answer and meanwhile the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, they stood there shouting their accusations. Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. And finally, they just put a royal robe on him. They sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies before, actually became friends that day. Then Pilate called together the leading priests, the other religious leaders, along with the people, and he announced his verdict. "'You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence, and I find him innocent.'" Herod came to the same conclusion, sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty, so I will have him flogged. I'll have him flogged, and then I will release him. And a mighty roar arose from the crowd. With one voice they shouted, kill him. Release Barabbas to us. See, Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time, he demanded, Why? What crime has he committed? I found no reason to sentence him to death, so I will have him flogged, and then I'll release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified. Their voices prevailed, so Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded As they had requested, he then released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. So as they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. And the soldiers seized him, put the cross on him, and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves, for your children, for the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child, the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains to fall on us, plead with the hills to bury us. For if these things are done with, when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with them. They came to a place that is called the skull and they nailed him to the cross. The criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Crowd watched. Leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you're king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was even fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Then prove it. Prove it by saving yourself, us too, while you're at it. The other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. By this time it was about noon. Darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light of the sun had gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle and then jesus shouted father i entrust my spirit into your hands and with those words he breathed his last when the roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened he worshiped god he said surely this man was innocent when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened they went home in deep sorrow but jesus's friends The women who had followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance, watching. There was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish High Council, but he had not agreed with the decision, with the action of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was awaiting the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body, and he took the body down from the cross, wrapped it in long sheets of linen cloth, laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon. This was the day of preparation as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed him. They saw the tomb where he was going to be placed. They went home, they prepared spices and anointments to anoint his body. By the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by the law. Here ends our reading. So I remember um, when I was on internship in seminary, I was in Texas and I had this really great opportunity there where I got to preach every week at one of the services. There was a bunch of them. So it was like the first time I'd preached in like this volume of just like every week having to come up with a message. And I remember saying to my supervisor okay, I'm starting to feel pretty repetitive. I feel like I'm always saying the same thing. And he goes, well, that's fine, because every week it's the same message. I go, well, you know what I mean. He goes, no, I really do mean it. Every week is Christ crucified. It is. And when I thought about that, we discussed it more. It was a discussion that every week, the most important thing we can share together is a story about this cross, this grisly sign of execution being transformed into this opportunity at mercy, this revelation of forgiveness. Every week we need to hear about the dangers around this slippery slope of scapegoating another human being to satisfy a crowd, to temper our insecurities, to temper our fears. Every week we should be reminded of the danger of identifying a singular enemy and deciding it would be better if they died rather than lived every week, we need to hear of God's mercy declared. They don't know what they're doing. So today, when we read the passion narrative, I'm left asking, well, is there anything else to say? That was sufficiently long, right? We could just wrap it up here and go, you think about it. But I do think there's something to that because this really is the heart of our story. This is the heart of our identity as people of Christ. And some of you may be saying, well, all, what about the empty tomb? And I would say, absolutely, we're about the empty tomb. But folks, empty tomb don't happen without this. I say it all the time. It's one of my favorite isms. Resurrection only happens to what? Dead things. Dead things, Mikey, Dead things. It's terrifying. It's, it's, it's only as triumphant as what it has overcome. There is no empty tomb without a cross. The cross should not be overlooked or downplayed. At the same time, though, it is a cross. And I don't want us to forget, this is a grisly form of execution that we hang around our necks in jewelry. It's equivalent to putting an electric chair around our neck or something. It's, a, it's meant to scare and as much as I linger at the foot of this cross in the season, as much as I am moved by its significance, the centrality it plays in my own understanding of God, of mercy, of forgiveness, and of sacrifice, I am reminded of the dangers of the mob, the dangers of our own human hearts that can be so quickly turned against a perceived enemy. Better, a scapegoat. And I pray earnestly for a day, Earnestly, for a day where there are no more crosses, no more people dying alone as a scapegoat for the sins and angers of others. These two ideas, the beauty of the cross and the tragedy of it. This is, you guys getting there's a richness to this, right? You kind of get why this thing has been read for so long <laughs> amongst people of faith, why it still moves us. Holy week begins and we are kicking things off with the same tradition we've done for generations of a triumphant entry into the city to shouts of Hosanna. I'm a bit of an enthusiast, if you don't know. I like liking things. I especially like to like celebratory things where crowds gather. Folks, I love Palm Sunday. We're excited. It's a celebration. I could go for a full Sunday of just Palm stuff. I could, but we still have to go forward. In the same service, we hear this tragic story. Shouts turn from, woo, to crucify him. Awful, highs and lows, life and death. And I feel it's very important that we experience all of that. Not just for traditional reasons of observances, but I feel like this year particularly, right now, where you are gathered right now, feel it in your seat right here. This is an important time for us because I am reminded of this time two years ago and I remember missing that first Holy Week, not getting to gather together and hear these stories. I remember missing it, not gathering, and it was hard. (laughs) because I never had a year, I realized, where I didn't observe this stuff. Before I was a pastor, I still was okay with church, amazingly. I was there and I missed it. That was gone. I missed it. This week, these stories, they grapple with all the feelings I think we've wrestled with over these past few years in the midst of this pandemic. Our frustrations, our mourning, our anger, our hatred. This week's story captures all the heartache, all the drama, the bitterness, the cruelty of human hearts, and it's important that we see it, that we draw close Because we are being invited to see the parallels of this story of Jesus in those times with a mob and to then see it through our story, today's story, our divisions, our resentments, our polarization amongst our neighbors. Don't look away. I was struck in reading this. I told Pastor Pat, um, the thing that always makes me really upset reading the Passion narrative is When it says, the people who loved Jesus, who knew him, when this happened, where were they? Far away. I could cry right now thinking about that. That he was, at that time, by himself. And I think it's important for us to hear the importance of not pulling away in this time. That we would draw close. This is the big one. I'm inviting all of you to draw in. So I may not see you guys again until next week, and that's okay. I understand schedules are challenging, but I would challenge you all to draw in this week during Holy Week. We haven't got to for a while. Come close. Don't watch this from far away. If you have to tune in online, that's fine. (laughs) For all of you online as well. (laughs) Tune in. Take it all in. Don't go Sunday to Sunday. Be here. Be here on Monday, Thursday. Be here on Good Friday. Hear the story. Draw close. Because in these coming days, we will hear the most prevalent, the most persistent and pointed way we can discuss what aches, what chips at our hearts. Looking for answers on this day. Looking in hope and expectation. The Messiah is here. It's so exciting. And then we travel. We travel through this week. From hoping for this new realization to quickly being able to be organized into a lynch mob by simply identifying an outsider, an enemy, a pot stirrer, a protester, uh, a fellow who just doesn't fit into any sort of specific category too precisely. And in identifying him, the story continues where they establish his potential to disrupt, to create chaos in in Jesus' words, to reveal the kingdom of God, to flip the world upside down last, first, first, last, they heard that. And that sounded like a really bad idea. And they killed him. From shouts of Hosanna to crucify him, the same people. And you may be saying, yes, that is awful. It is awful what Pilate did. Or, oh, it is awful what the religious authorities did in those times, and we should hear those stories and mourn about it. But that's not what we're mourning. We miss the point entirely if we think of it as a they-them problem. That's the reason we need to be here, though, is to hear that this is about us as well. It's not about them. It's about us. It's about all of us. If you want to hear the story of all of us needing forgiveness, as we hear a story of a crowd turned to anger against a scapegoat, then come, be a part of this. Hear the story again as we choose a different way, as God chooses a different way, as we continue this way of seeking peace through execution and punishment we'll hear a story go full circle and we'll hear why jesus had to be here why he died and what that resurrection means for all of us we will hear again why in essence if you're wondering what you're doing here be here the next couple days (laughs) be here this week because you will hear why we need this why we need to be together why we need to hear this story and why we need another way that doesn't end in a cross but an empty tomb where love wins where death is defeated it's a good day again i'm an enthusiast i'm very into easter but that victory we celebrate is only as powerful as what it overcame so again i'll say don't just come back on sunday (laughs) We tell the passion story today because for many folks this is it this is your chance to hear it but if you're able if you can make it come closer draw close don't stand far away come here draw close and ask yourself ask yourself in these stories like today the triumphant entry to the city what are your hopes that christ would return what would you do if jesus rode two donkeys into Cincinnati what would you be hoping Jesus would usher in but then on Monday Thursday on Good Friday I would urge you to ask yourself where have I scapegoated where have I felt these feelings of hate towards my neighbor where have I turned my hope into anger where have I convinced myself that all those good things I hope for would only happen after someone is sufficiently punished after someone is sufficiently removed where have I made my life more about what I'm against than what I'm for? And on Easter, hear the promise that nothing in heaven or on earth, right? War, famine, nakedness, pestilence, demons, not even death. Death itself cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So bless you this week as we journey together, as we draw close together, as we draw to the cross as we get to the heart of this whole thing we give thanks Amen